Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Quick recap. Uh, the first week we uh, centered on James chapter 1, verse 19, where it says that we should be slow to speak, we should be quick to listen. And we should be slow to get angry. And uh, I shared in that service some practical ways to overcome offense and really kind of set um, kind of uh, the basis for where I was going to go in in, in this series. If you've not listened to week number one, I do encourage you to go back and check that out, uh, either in our podcast or on the webcast that are uh, archived on YouTube or our Facebook page. Then then in week two, um, I talked about how the enemy... He will try to distract us with offense, and he will try to divide us by using offense as a tool, as a weapon against the church. And then uh, the final thing that I talked about that night is that the enemy will try to use offense to discredit our witness. And so these are things that we need to warn against. We need to be aware. We don't need to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. The Word of God says that in the last days that he's gonna, he's gonna, offense is going to abound. More and more will be offended. That, that's the Word of God. And so I'm preaching against that. I, I, I'm proclaiming that we will be victorious in this area and will not succumb to offense. We don't want offense to abound in the church. We want to keep it in its place, keep it out of the church. We want to recognize when it's coming so, so we can deal with it and defeat it. Could somebody say amen? In the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm, I'm going to deal with a few other aspects of offense. I'm going to talk about uh, bitterness. I'm going to deal with what I believe is the key antidote uh, to offense. But tonight, uh, I want to talk about how we can get offended at sinners. We can get offended at the world. And so to begin this evening, I want to direct your attention to Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, uh, or if you're following along in, in the notes or in uh, your Bible app. But before I, I get to that, and before I start to read in Luke 18, I, I want to provide a little bit of context so that the reading will, will have uh, more, more punch and power to it. But in, in this particular passage, uh, Jesus encountered some people who were very self-righteous. They were known as Pharisees. And if you've been around church for any period of time, you've probably heard about the Pharisees, probably read some about the Pharisees. And a little of what we know about the Pharisees is that they thought that they were right in everything and everybody else was wrong. They thought that they were better than everybody else. And not, not only did they think that they were right and everybody else were wrong, but uh, they were very proud of their rightness, if that's even a word. They, they were proud of how right they were and how good they were and how religious they were and how holy they were. And so that led them to believing that they were superior to others, that they, they, they tended to believe they were better than others. They were holier than everyone else. And so we're going to pick up in verse number 9 of, of Luke 18 and begin to read here. Jesus is sharing a parable, and this is what it says in verse 9 of Luke 18. And he spoke this parable 
to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He's talking about the Pharisees. They trusted in self rather than in the grace and the goodness of God. They trusted in their own righteousness. They were in despised others. So a lot of what I just got finished saying, he's kind of summarizing here. Verse 10, here the parable begins. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee, so he's writing them into the parable. He's talking to Pharisees, but he's making them a part of the parable. And he says, there's two men, and, and one of them was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. So once again, let me just kind of go on with the Pharisees. The, these, this was the religious class of the day. They were very, very well known in that day. They were out, outwardly righteous. That's what the Bible tells us, but they were inwardly corrupt. Jesus attacked that. Jesus came against that because they would, they would go around making a show of their piety. They would go around showing everybody else, you know, their, their, how religious and how good they were. And every law that they were keeping and every commandment that they were keeping. As a matter of fact, there were 613 laws that the Pharisees prided themselves in keeping, not to mention that the Lord started with 10. They were all about the rules, and they were all about the laws and, and showing everybody that they were living accordingly. And so we've got the Pharisee in the parable, and we've got the tax collector here. And if you've got a spectrum, you've got a Pharisee on one side of the spectrum, you've got the tax collector on the other side of the spectrum. That, that's what Jesus is setting up here. The, the Pharisee was the per person who was outwardly religious, and the tax collector is the one who is very, very sinful. Tax collectors in those days were known to take advantage of people. They were known to cheat people. They were collecting taxes for Rome, but they would, they would skim off of the top. They would overcharge people, and so they were, they were disliked. Nobody likes the tax man anyway, but if you feel like the tax man's adding on, and so these tax collectors were, were very disliked. They, they were greedy. They were sinful. And so we've got this one guy who's very religious and very righteous, very visibly righteous. And we've got this other guy who's, who's very visibly unrighteous. So this is what it says in the next verse, in verse 11. So here's what happened. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, or, or by himself, basically. And here's, here's what the Pharisee said in his prayer, and he said it loud for everybody to hear. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm better than they are. That's what's implied here, right? They're extortioners, they're unjust, they're adulterers. And even as this tax collector, he, he, listen, he, he, he's not only praying and saying he's better than others, but there's this tax collector that's in the same vicinity, and he's saying, I'm thankful that I'm better than him. I'm going to go ahead and compare myself, and I'm going to compare my actions, I'm going to compare my deeds, I'm going to compare how well I keep the law, and I'm doing really good because I'm better than this other guy is. So he, he was appalled. This Pharisee was appalled by the tax collector. He was offended at this guy's sinfulness. And then, if that wasn't enough, he began to recount everything that he was doing right. He began to talk about everything that, that, that he was doing good. And he said this, I fast twice a week. Everybody needs to know that, right? 
No, they don't. (laughs) That's what he said, though. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, the Bible says, would not so much. Here was his response. This other guy's praying out loud, boasting. The, The tax collector, he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then this is what Jesus said in verse number 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the unrighteous one, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Why? Because everyone who exalts himself is going to be humbled. And the one who humbles himself, God's going to exalt them. Don't miss this. The Pharisee saw himself as right, and he saw the tax collector as wrong. But to Jesus, church, it it wasn't just about right and wrong. It was also about pride. That's what we see in that parable. It wasn't just about who's right and who's wrong, who's doing the right things, who's doing the wrong. It was also about humility. Who Who is humbling themselves or who is eaten up with pride? Listen, don't don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say tonight. Jesus wants us to be, he wants us to live right. When it comes to doctrine, he wants us to live according to right doctrine. Truth matters. Truth absolutely matters. But so does humility. So does love. And we can be exactly right in truth, but if we're rotten in the way that we treat people. We can have everything lined up. We can have everything put perfectly. We can believe it A to Z. But if our attitudes and our spirits are wrong, what good is that? So let me ask you tonight, if you were to insert yourself into the parable that we read there in Luke 18, who would you be? Would you be the Pharisee or would you be the tax collector? Something good to think about, isn't it? Maybe it's not a perfect fit on either one, but which one would you tend to be more like, the Pharisee or the tax collector? Would you be the one who's going around in pride saying, I'm glad I'm better than everybody else. I'm glad I'm right, and I know they're all wrong. Or would you be in the one saying, hey, I'm a sinner and I need the grace of God. I can't save myself. I can't forgive myself. I've got to have God. Because here's, here's the thing, unfortunately, For us as Christians, if we're not careful, it's really, really easy for us to slip into our own rightness. It's really easy for us to lean on our own rightness, to begin to develop a spiritual pride, much like we saw in that parable with the Pharisee. In fact, church, I would say respectfully that with all good intentions, Sometimes we tend to think that part of our job as Christians is to be right and to tell everybody else how they're wrong. That, that, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be right. But we're, we, we have the truth and, and we preach the truth. And because we preach the truth, and that means we're supposed to be right. But listen, sometimes because we are right, we can get offended by those who were wrong. We can get offended when sinners act like sinners. 
We can get offended when sinners do sinful things. And here's what I know, that if we live offended at, at, at people and if we live offended at the world long enough, that offense will start to simmer and offense will begin to grow in us. And eventually it will move from the place of offense and it will become contempt. And we'll be contemptuous at everybody around us, everybody who doesn't think like us, everybody who doesn't believe exactly like us, everybody who's not living exactly like we are. We will hold everyone in contempt. And then instead of hating what someone does, if we're not careful, we'll begin to hate who they are. And that's never a good place for a disciple of Jesus to be, that we would hate anybody. That, 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 that's not what we're called to do. And that's not who we're called to be as Christ followers, as Christians. It's not to hate anybody. Again, the Pharisee, the Pharisee he was right, and he knew he was right. He was doing right things. So he told everyone else how right he was, and he looked down on those who were wrong. And listen, before you begin to think that, oh, I'm not capable of that, I'm not, I, I, don't, I would never do what that, that Pharisee does, I, I couldn't, there's no way I could do the same thing that, that he did. Well, let me remind you what Proverbs 21 and 2 says. It says that every man is right in his own eyes. Every man, we think our way is right, our thoughts are right, the way we handle things, the way we deal with things, every man, if we're not careful, we can think that we're right and everyone else is wrong. But the truth is that we're sinners in need of the grace of God. That, 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 at the end of the day, that's the truth. We've got to have the grace of God. Our righteousness is not enough. Does that mean that we don't endeavor to live a righteous life? No, that's not what it means. It just simply means it's not enough. We've got to have the righteousness of God to take up the slack and to fill in the empty spaces and to, and to cover what we cannot cover. Praise God. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful and they are desperately wicked. Based on that, as much as we may think that we're right, we can often be wrong. We can be wrong in ourselves. And church, even if we are right, our approach sometimes can be wrong. Is that okay? We, we can be exactly right, but our approach can be off. And, and when our approach is off and the way we handle people and when the, way, the way we deal with people, if that is off, then that discounts our righteousness, our, our rightness. That, that basically negates our message if our approach to people is wrong. Because what does it profit anyone if you're right but you're not loving? What good is it to be right and to be rude? Amen? Again, Jesus wasn't only concerned about right and wrong, but he was also very, very concerned about pride and coming against spiritual pride and encouraging us to, to embrace humility instead of being eaten up with pride. Because that matters. Tone matters. Our approach to people matters. We can be right. We can have the right doctrine. We can have the right message. We can, we can have the truth. But if we don't handle it right, Think about this. Are people in this world, 
Or people that you come in contact with regularly? Or are people on your job, are they, are they going to want to follow Jesus because of your moral superiority? Is, is that what's going to draw them to Jesus? Are people that you interact with, are they going to want to follow Jesus because of how right you are? Or will it be because they know that you care? Will it be because they sense the love of Jesus Christ flowing in you and flowing through you to them? That, that's what I believe tonight according to the word of God. Listen, we can, we can see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate example. And if you want to talk about somebody who was always right, well, get, there you have it. Jesus, Jesus was always right. Jesus was sinless. And, and yet, listen, church, even though Jesus was sinless, sinful people were still drawn to him. So it's possible to be right and still be effective in ministering to people. It's possible to present truth and to steer, still interact with people in a positive and a productive way. Jesus is the example of that. He was sinless, but sinful people were still attracted to Jesus. Even though he was perfect in every way, the imperfect were compelled to seek him out. Let me share a few examples with you. While, while he was eating with the religious leaders, the Bible says that a prostitute, she showed up, and, and, and this was a, a one that the religious leaders shunned in that very second. They didn't want to give her space. What is she doing here? What, what is this great a thing that, that she's doing? She's being wasteful. She sought Jesus out, even though she was shunned by the religious leaders. And the Bible says she's poured out this expensive perfume on him, and she worshiped at his feet. She was a sinner, yet she sought out the sinless. In another instance, a hated and reviled tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus, he was so compelled by Jesus. He was so drawn to Jesus that he overcame obstacles. And the Bible says he climbed up in a tree so that he could just put his eyes on Jesus. As Jesus passed by, he was compelled. He was drawn. Even though he was sinful, he wanted to get close to this sinless one. Another example was the Samaritan woman at the well. The Bible tells us that she had gone through multiple marriages. She was overcome with guilt and shame. Society had rejected her. That's why she came to the well at the time of day she did. She didn't want to have to inter interact with anybody else. She'd been rejected so many times. But listen, when she met Jesus that day, the Bible says that he offered her living water that could satisfy the emptiness of her soul. Jesus was without sin. Yet he loved people who were sinful. He didn't confront them with his rightness. Instead, he compelled them with his love. And church, that's why sinners sought him out. That's why sinners wanted to be near him. That's why they, they, they were drawn to him because he made them feel loved. Let's kind of skip over a little bit. Let's go to the book of John, the 13th chapter. I want to take a look at a very powerful passage that deals with how we ought to treat people. We'll begin in verse number one to get the context here. Here's what it says in John 13 and 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, in other words, the cross is looming, he knows it's time. 
He knew that he, was, he should depart from this world to the Father. He's getting ready to give his life. And here's what it says here. Having loved his own who were where? They were in the world. They were in the world. And he loved them. And then it finishes by saying he loved them to the end. I'm grateful for that, aren't you? I'm grateful that I'm not just loved part of the way, but he loves me to the end. He doesn't love me when I'm trying to do good and I've got some things going right, but even when I falter and fail, he keeps on loving me through that. Oh, praise God. Is there anybody else out there like me tonight? Praise God. Says he loved them to the end. Well, how did he love them to the end? Well, the next few verses tell us that while he and his disciples were together, they're sharing a meal together, what we've come to know as the Last Supper. The Bible says that Jesus shocked his disciples when he took up a towel in a basin and he knelt down and he started washing their feet. He did something that only servants did in those days. He loved them, not in pride, but he loved them in the most humble way by serving them by showing them that he cared for them. So by this action that Jesus taken, the disciples were, they were shaken. They, they were stunned. They, they tried to resist. No, you're not supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be washing your feet. They were absolutely rattled. Jesus loved them to the end. He loved them by humbling himself. And then in that same setting, Jesus said to, he, he told them, one of you here, he's got 12 of his closest friends there. And he said, one out of you 12 are going to betray me. And in that moment, Judas knew that it was him. And Jesus kissed him. And he said, do what you do quickly. Judas left that, that room and he went off to betray Jesus. Jesus loved Judas to the end. In that moment, instead of kissing him on the cheek, he could have slapped him on the cheek. He could have punched him in the mouth. He had every right, didn't he? He was right. Judas was wrong. But what did he do? He loved him. He loved him to the end. This is the context when he said what I'm getting ready to read to you in, in, in the latter part of John 13. He knew that suffering was coming his way. He knew that the cross was looming, yet he humbled himself and he served and he washed feet. And all the while he was being betrayed by, by one of his chosen. This is what he said beginning in verse 33. He said, little children, he's talking to his disciples. Other, other versions say, my children. In other words, it's a kind of taking a fatherly tone here, a different tone. He said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as, as I said to the Jews where I am going, you can't come. So now I say to you, verse 34, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I'm going to give you a new way of thinking I'm going to give you a new way of, of, of looking, of perceiving. In this original language here, that word new has the same connotation as the word fresh. That this is, this is not like you've thought before. This, this is not like other people think. This is not like the world thinks. But it's a, a new thing. It's a fresh thing. And again, remember the context he's speaking into. He's getting ready to be falsely accused. He's getting ready to be slandered. He's getting ready. He just humbled himself and washed feet. And one of his closest friends just betrayed him. And then he said this, I'm giving you a fresh commandment. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. 
In other words, follow my example. Do what I've been doing. I loved you to the end. And I'm asking you to do the same. Would you love one another as I have loved you? That you also love one another. By this, by loving one another, you all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, he didn't say that they would know that we are his disciples by what we're against. It's not what Jesus said. He didn't say that it would be because we were right and because they were wrong, and they would say, oh, these people are so right, they've got to be followers of Jesus. No, he said they're going to know you by your love. That, that's how they will be able to tell that we are his is by our love. It's that we love people the way that he loved people and the way that he loves us. Oh, I'm thankful for that tonight. I'm thankful that he doesn't love me with a human kind of love, but he loves me with a divine love. Hallelujah. He loves me with a love of another level. And church, that's the love that he calls us to. That's the place that he calls us to. Don't love like the world. Don't treat other people like the world treats people. But treat everybody with love. Lead with love. So why? Why do we not often love people the way Jesus loves? Why don't we love people in the way that he exampled and demonstrated for us? The answer could be that we're more, we're more focused on being right. And we lead with being right instead of leading with love. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Jesus was concerned with right and wrong. Right and wrong matter. Are you, are you hearing me? It matters. Right and wrong is important. But Jesus was also concerned with pride. And he was concerned with humility. Because spiritual pride corrupts. You can have everything right in your life. But if you get self-righteous, if you let spiritual pride begin to, begin to creep in and you begin to think that you're better than somebody else. That you lose sight of the fact that were it not for the grace of God, there go I. I could be in their predicament. I could be in their shoes. I could be mixed up in sin the way that they are. I could be bound by addiction in the way that they are. It's just the grace of God. It's not my superiority. It's not that I'm just some better person or, or more spiritual. No, it's the grace of God. It's not anything that I do. It's because of what he's done. Oh, praise God. Just like we saw with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, no doubt that Pharisee did some good things. Those things that he even began to pray out loud about, none of that was bad. Right? Fasting's a good thing. Tithing is a good thing. Being obedient is a good thing. He did some very good things. He did a whole lot right, but what he didn't understand was humility. What he didn't understand was the role of grace. What he didn't understand is that when you deal with other people, that you should start with love and not your rightness. 
And because of that, I want you to catch this church. He was offended at that sinful tax collector. He was offended at him. He was morally superior to him. He was judgmental against him. And so the sins of that tax collector literally offended him. Yet that was the exact opposite of what Jesus did throughout his lifetime. That Pharisee wasn't living anywhere remotely where, in the way that Jesus did. I want you to think about it. Jesus was the most right person who ever lived. He was perfect. He had no flaws. In fact, we talked about a few weeks ago about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And, and some of the characters in the account were, there were Pharisees in that account, if you remember that. And they were right. She was, she was wrong. She had committed adultery. They were right, technically. There was this adulterous woman. She was wrong, absolutely, no question. Not trying to paint over a gloss over that. They were right, she was wrong. But then enter Jesus into the picture. And he told those Pharisees who were right, let he who is without sin. They were right, she was wrong. And Jesus said to the ones who were right, let who who is without sin cast the first stone. If you haven't sinned, then you have the right to judge her. You have the right to condemn her if you've not sinned. That's what he was saying in essence. But if you have sinned, if you've fallen short, if you've been in need of mercy before, if you've ever been in the place where you needed forgiveness, you've got no right to judge her. So think about it. Jesus had never sinned. He was the only one there who had a right. He had a right to judge her. He had a right to pick up a stone and to hurl it at her. But he didn't. What did he do instead? The Bible tells us that he knelt down and he began to write in the sand. We don't know for sure, but he was likely transcribing the sins of those who were in that self-righteous mob that day. And the Bible says that they begin to drop their stones and they begin to leave. Those men begin to leave and depart one by one. And then Jesus looked at the woman who was wrong. He looked at the woman who had sinned and he said, where are those who condemn you? He said, they're not here. Jesus was there. He had a right to condemn her. And the question was, hey, is there anybody here who's condemning you anymore? No, they're not here. And so he looked at her and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Church, what do you think that woman felt at that moment? What, what do you think that woman felt after that encounter with Jesus? Do you think that she felt condemnation? Or do you think she felt more love than she ever had been? Do you think she felt judged? Or do you think she felt forgiven? Jesus spoke the truth. Don't sin anymore. What you're doing is wrong. Get up and go your way and live a better life, a different life. It was the truth wrapped in love. Yes, she was wrong, church. She was 100% wrong. Yes, Jesus could have been offended at her sin. He could have been repulsed by her transgressions, yet Jesus chose to treat her with compassion instead. Again, right and wrong matter 
They're important. But pride and humility matter as well. So can I encourage this church? Let's start with humility. Let's, let's start with humility. Let's, let's remember how each one of us have been forgiven. Hallelujah. The one that's been forgiven much ought to love much. The one that's been forgiven much ought to forgive others of much. I think that's in the Bible. Let's live in gratitude instead of entitlement. Hear me. If you want to be entitled tonight, then I want you to think about what you actually deserve. We can go down that road. When I think about what I deserve, I deserve punishment. I'm glad I'm not entitled to that. He took it away. I'm not going to go around with my nose up in the air. I'm not going to go around looking down my nose at other people because I'll tell you what I deserve. I'll tell you what I'm entitled to. I deserve death. I deserve to go to hell. Have you forgotten that? Have you, got, have you been living for the Lord so long that you've forgotten what we're entitled to? But he takes that away. He takes that upon himself. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace in its place. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord right now. Church, because we have been forgiven much, we ought to be overflowing with love to our fellow man. Yes, we still stand for truth. Absolutely. We're going to stand for truth 100%, but we're going to do it in love. We've got to do it in love because we're not going to change people by condemning them. We're not going to help people by judging them. We're going to help them by loving them as Christ loved us. Listen, I have conversations with people in the world all the time in public places, in the grocery store, in my neighborhood, in places of business, on airplanes. And I have conversations with people who don't believe like I do and don't think like I do. And listen, many times as I have those conversations and we get deeper into the conversation, eventually you get to that question of, hey, what do you do for a living? We've already been talking a little bit now. Hey, hey, what do you do? Many times by that point, the person that I've been talking with, they've already told me about getting drunk that weekend. Many times by that point, they've already let some four-letter words fly. And then I speak up and I tell them, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. You know what happens? Many times when they hear that, they begin to apologize. Oh, pastor, I'm so, I'm so sorry for what I said. I'm, I'm, I didn't know. I'm, I'm sorry about that. And they feel shame in that moment because they, they, they know that I'm a, a man of God, that, I, that I'm a pastor. And they begin to express that. And they begin to tell me that they're sorry for what they said just a moment ago. But do you know what I do in that moment? I don't look down my self-righteous nose at them. And I don't tell them, you ought to feel bad for what you said. And I don't tell them how offended I am at what they just got finished telling me they did last weekend. No, I just tell them, hey, it's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you just let a really bad four-letter word go, but don't worry about it. And I don't judge them for it. 
because I know that Jesus has forgiven me so much. And very easily, the tables could be turned and I could be sitting where they're sitting and they could be sitting where I'm sitting. Listen, church, we rarely help someone by condemning them, but we just might help them if we'll love them, if we'll go the extra mile, if we won't get bent out of shape by their sin, if we won't get offended by their transgressions. Oh, God. We've got to get this right. We've got to get this right, church. It was the apostle Paul who said this in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. In other words, though I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, even though I'm spirit-filled and I speak in tongues, but if I don't have love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I've got the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Gifts of the Spirit don't matter if you don't love. Your knowledge of the Word really doesn't matter if you don't love. Verse 3, and though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Not a little bit, not 50%, nothing. We could say it like this. Though I read my Bible every day, but if I don't have love, even though I go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, if I don't show love. Though I'm faithful in my tithes, if I don't have love, it's all worthless. It profits me nothing. It doesn't do me any good without love. Oh, church, can I remind you tonight who we are? Can I, can I remind you, we are the church of the Most High God. We are the body of Christ in this world. We are a city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. We are the light that is shining into the darkness. That means we don't act like everybody else. We don't deal with people like everybody else does. We don't condemn and reject like everybody else does. We are the ambassadors of hope, and they will know who we are when they see us loving. When they see us loving one another, not by our rightness, but by our love. So instead of being offended when sinners do sinful things, maybe we need to adjust our approach a little bit. Maybe we need to be less prideful like the Pharisee and become more humble like the tax collector. Would you stand with me? I wonder if we could close out tonight by, by praying for the Lord to help us be more loving. I think that'd be a wonderful prayer for all of us to pray. I, I don't think there's a single one of us here tonight who couldn't benefit by praying, God, help me to be more loving. Surely there's not going to be anybody here who resists that tonight, who says, you know, I disagree with that. So could we do that right now? Could, could we just begin to talk to God? Could we just begin to respond to the Word of God and pray, God, help me to be more loving. Oh, God.
Come on, can you pray against your pride? Can you ask God to help you to know if there's spiritual pride that's beginning to form in your life, that's beginning to cloud your view and vision of other people? I wonder, can we just spend some time considering the example of Jesus and learning from Him? Come on, let's don't learn from the Pharisee. Let's don't learn from the world. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at his example and let's endeavor to do what he did and to care for people and to love people the way that he did. Church, the world is going to be the world. They're going to do worldly things. They're going to do things that grieve our spirits. Sinners are going to sin. We don't need to get so offended that we get that it reaches a place of contempt. We can't show them love. That we can't show them care. That we can't extend to them grace. Come on, I wonder if somebody would lift up your hands and just let the Word of God begin to seep in. Come on, let the Word of God begin to work. Let the Word of God bring about change in your life. Oh God, we're going to cling to truth. But at the same time, we're going to hold on to grace. God, we want truth, but we want grace too. We want to be a church of grace and truth, of truth and grace. God, I pray that we would be a people of love. God, when people encounter us, when they find out that we go to the life church, that they would say, oh, I've had encounters with people from that church before. Those are the kindest people. Those are the, the most loving people. God, let our hearts break for people who are far from you tonight. Lord, let us be gripped with, with compassion for people who are steeped in sin, for people who are bound in sin tonight, God. Oh, help us to humble ourselves in light of what we've been forgiven of. Forgive us, God, for getting righteous and lifted up and elevated in our own self by leaning on our own righteousness like that Pharisee did in the parable. God, I pray that you would forgive us of pride and let your love begin to shine through. Let your love begin to compel people. Help us to show your love so that men and women are drawn to you and pointed to you instead of being repelled from you. Oh, God, help me to be more loving. Oh, God, we want to be more loving. Lord, we want to develop this characteristic. God, we want to possess this fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah. That's it, church. Keep praying while they start Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLCDallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.